storm of burden in my life Every time I am troubled by A storm of burden in my life It alleviates my pain Habibi Ya Rasulullah It alleviates my pain Habibi Ya Rasulullah Habibi Nahmaduhu Wanusalli Wanusallimu ala sayyidina wa maulana Muhammadin Rasulihin nabiyyil aminil makinil haninil karimil raufil rahim Amma ba'd Fa'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim Bismillahir rahmanir rahim Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanudkhulu fis silmi kaffah Sadaqallahu Mawlana Al-Azim Respected guests An honorable audience By the grace of Our Lord Almighty And this session Is primarily Organized for our highly respected guests, I will, inshallah ta'ala, give a brief introduction of a single aspect of Islam. Islam as a religion of peace and democracy just for 15 to 20 minutes based on the first Islamic written constitution given by Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa sallam peace be upon him and then this briefing would be followed by the questions and answers. Some of them have already been sent to me and they are in front of me. And of course, I would like to invite the live questions on any subject, any aspect of Islam our respected guest would like to ask. I would be welcoming and I would be pleased to answer those questions. The root world of Islam is Silm and Salama. And Islam means to come into peace and to provide others with peace. This is actual meanings of Islam. This world Islam originates from Silm and Salama. That means peace, security. Salam and it has bifold meanings meaning thereby to come into peace and to provide peace to other so Quran says that O people O believers Ya Amanu addressing the believers that you should adopt the path of peace 
in true sense and in complete sense. So any act, any policy, any stance which is against peace and security for the mankind would be considered to be un-Islamic, rather anti-Islamic activity. The same concept of Islam was demonstrated and practiced and propagated and promulgated by Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa sallam. I would just like to quote a few examples from Holy Prophet's flight, his immigration from Mecca to Medina. The first gathering which took place at the place of Mina before his decision to migrate to Medina. That was known as Be'ate Uqba'ula. That was the first pledge of allegiance, the first pledge of loyalty. When 12 people from Medina came to see Holy Prophet وسلم, and they embraced Islam and they pledged on the hands of Holy Prophet وسلم, for his loyalty and allegiance. At that time, Holy Prophet وسلم, gave a sermon and introduced Islam to them and this was the first lesson of Islam which was carried by the delegate of those 12 people and they were later on appointed by Holy Prophet وسلم, as his representatives as the 12 leaders for the Medinan community to propagate Islam to introduce Islam to the society of Medina this sermon the first prophetic sermon, the first prophetic sermon given to them consists of seven points. This was the sermon of the first bay'ah, the pledge of loyalty, which took place in Mina. The first thing was to be faithful, loyal, to Almighty Allah, the Lord, the Creator, and to be obedient to Him and to be submissive to Him. The second point was, after embracing Islam, there should be no theft of any kind in your life. Third, there should be no adultery and fornication or sexual and moral crime in your life. Fourth, there should be no killing of the people and particularly of the girls and no killing of mankind in general. Fifth lesson was there should be no false allegation and false accusation against anybody. Sixth point was there should be no backbiting and seventh was 
you have to practice and propagate every good thing and you have to abstain from every evil so this was the first sermon the first lecture of mina this was the first package of islamic teachings which holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam communicated to them and they traveled to madina back with this introduction of islam all basic books of islamic history including tabaqat ibn sa'd including sirat ibn hisham sirat ibn ishaq al bidaya wan nihaya bi hafiz ibn kaseer all authorities undisputedly quote this sermon this is not any isolated tradition this is a very famous unanimously agreed upon tradition that this was the first basic sermon of holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so if we go through this whole lecture one aspect is related to the spiritual and religious message of islam regarding the faith one aspect all other aspects are related to reform and refine the moral ethical and human life and they are secular in nature his main emphasis was to protect the human life in its individual sphere as well as in its collective sphere from all kind of social crimes for social acts of injustice for social acts of against human rights then holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam migrated to madina and when he entered madina again all these authorities quote his first public lecture on the first friday that was done in masjid al juma while he was traveling from quba to city of madina that was friday and he delivered his first public lecture as a friday sermon so this was first official public lecture delivered by holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to the audience of madina now the second lecture again this lecture although he was personally in trouble he had to leave his beloved homeland he was forced to migrate and under the situation of oppression and cruelty and suppression which the people of mecca they had been behaving with him so he was forced to leave the city of mecca and migrate to madina when he arrived there so he never mentioned a single aspect of misconduct of meccan period performed to him in order to gain their attraction when he was giving his public sermon he again gave a lesson of worshiping almighty allah and number 2 the lesson of to be truthful in your life 
Number three, the lesson of mutual love for everyone. Number four, the lesson of fulfilling the promises and commitments. Number six, to differentiate between what is lawful and what is unlawful in your life, what is moral and what is immoral in your life, what is permissible and what is forbidden in your life. Moreover, to deal with piety and wariness and in a way of God-fearing to other people so that nobody is harmed by your practice or by your act. So again, this was the second sermon and after arrival in Medina, this was his first public lecture or first public promulgation of his teachings which was done in Medina. So the whole of this lecture again consists of a policy of social reform, a policy based on human rights, a policy based on human dignity, a policy based on mutual brotherhood and mutual love and tolerance, a policy based on moral values of truthfulness and fulfillment of promise. After mentioning these two lectures of Holy Prophet then I would like to come directly to the constitution which was given by Holy Prophet and this As-Sahifa, the first written constitution which was drafted by Holy Prophet and the participants of this constitution were the Muslims, the migrants of Medina, and the locals Muslims of Medina, and the Jewish community, and other non-Muslim tribes, and their allies, all non-Muslim allies, who were working in political and social alliance with the Jews of Medina at that time. So a constitution was drafted and that constitution, text of the constitution, consists of 63 articles. This constitution was compiled through all original sources by Dr. Hamidullah, who used to live in Paris. And he compiled and edited this text of constitution through various sources in the form of 47 articles. Then I got an opportunity to work on it and this was the second effort which I did by grace of Almighty Allah and I splitted and captioned and categorized in 63 constitutional articles this whole text. This book is published in the name of Constitution of Medina which consists of, according to my analysis, consists of 63 articles. So this was the constitution, written constitution, which provided a foundation, a constitutional foundation to Medinan society. This was the constitution which provided the concept of devolution of powers. And this constitution, basis of devolution of power became the formation, became the practical foundation of democracy. 
this constitution provided the moderate and balanced aptitude towards all communities this constitution for the first time gave the idea of nation geographical nation a territorial nation which would include muslims and non muslims together equally and putting all faiths cultures and religions putting them together holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam constituted a political nationhood concept of nationhood then he gave through this constitution the concept of rule of law he gave through this constitution the concept of respecting the local customs and customary laws and local traditions of all tribes and all cultures and all religious and faith uh, communities based on various religions and faith then he gave the concept of basic human rights he gave the concept of fundamental protection of religious freedom he gave the concept of protection of the minorities in their religious social and cultural rights he gave the concept of a guaranteed protection to women rights and he gave the concept that the state of madina would be declared a sanctuary a state of peace and security and no act of oppression no act of suppression no act of injustice no act of extremism and no act of terrorism and no act of violence and no act of militancy would be allowed in the city state of madina just first of all starting from the first article where holy prophet declared the muslims and non muslims the jews and their allies together as a single nation he did not exclude the non muslim communities because he was unanimously accepted as head of the state at that time he was the constitutional head and he declared baina this constitution was given bainal muslimin wal mu'minin wal muslimin min quraish wa ahli yathrib wa man tabi'ahum falahika bihim wa jahada ma'ahum this was the first article of the constitution holy prophet said haza kitabun min muhammadin an-nabiy rasulillah this is a constitution and a constitutional document given by muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam the prophet the messenger of god and he says this is a constitutional agreement between the muslims of quraish and the people of yasrib the citizens of madina those muslims and non muslims and all those tribes who are the political allies of those tribes they all constitute together innahum ummatun wahidatun min dunin nas so all muslims migrants and locals and on jews and all allies of the jewish tribes all of these participants and constituent elements they together are forming a constitutional nationality today through this constitution so holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam included all faiths and cultures and religions and put them together in an 
in a single nation and he didn't exclude any of them from the constitutional nationhood then holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam further declared giving a constitutional guarantee of the protection of religious freedom although it was already stated a full quranic surah full quranic surah was revealed declaring the right of religious freedom for everybody full quranic surah and that is known as surah al kafirun it is stated qul ya ayyuhal kafirun o non believers you don't i don't worship which you worship you don't worship whom i worship i am not going to worship the idols and statutes which are you, which you are worshiping and you are not going to accept my lord to worship so after mentioning this thing he declared lakum deenukum waliyadeen so i declare the concept of religious freedom you are free to practice your religion in the same way as i am free to practice my religion and this quranic verse was again transformed into a practical constitutional concept in article 30 of the constitution of madina holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam declared inna yahud bani auf ummatun ma'al mu'minina lil yahud deenuhum walil muslimina deenuhum i declared all yahud and the jewish tribes along with the muslims they are an ummah and for yahud and jewish tribes is their religion and for the muslims is their religion so nobody has a right to interfere with the deen of other so this was the constitutional guarantee for the religious freedom of each and every faith then holy prophet declared another thing that all other tribes who are allies of the basic jewish tribe they will enjoy the same constitutional right as the main jewish allies of muslim community are enjoying and he says inna li yahud bani najjar mislu ma li yahud bani auf then there are about 15 articles rather more than 20 articles where he has specifically mentioned that every single tribe will enjoy the same constitutional tribes as we have given to all other main participants of the constitution then holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam declared that the valley prohibition there would be a prohibition of fighting and there would be prohibition of bloodshed among the various communities of the state the valley of yasrib the madina is sacred and is declared to be the place of peace and security and every kind of fighting every kind of bloodshed and every kind of violent and tyrant act is declared to be prohibited from today and the same was holy prophet's declaration on the day 
when he delivered the last his sermon of hijjatul wida and holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam stated further in article 61 that any oppressor and any tyrant and any person any militant and any person committing the act of tyranny cruelty oppression and suppression holy prophet said cause he would be deprived of the constitutional protection verily this constitutional document should not and shall not protect any person who is the traitor who is the oppressor who is the tyrant and who is the militant this was the article 61 and again in article 62 holy prophet said all peaceful citizen would be in a safe and secure protection of the constitution those people who will work against peace and security they will lose the guaranteed constitutional protection for their life and again the last article 63 holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said verily allah and prophet muhammad the messenger of god are the protectors of the peaceful people and those who fear almighty allah not the protectors of those who are militants who are the oppressors or who are the violators of the rights of human beings then holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam introduced the fundamental human rights through holy quran through his sunnah and through his implementation of his policies in the form of the constitution of madina the first right which he declared was the right of protection of life and said man qatala nafsan bi ghayri nafsin aw fasadin fil ard fa ka'annama qatala an-nas jamia it is in surah al-maida verse number 32 anybody who kills a single soul there is no specification of religion maybe muslim or non muslim qatala nafsan any person belonging to any religion belonging to any race belonging to any color belonging to any faith belonging to any culture belonging to any community if anybody kills any person on this earth it is as if he has killed the whole of mankind and if anybody works and serves to provide life and guarantee to any person as if he has provided the life to the whole of mankind this was the basic concept given by holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in connection of right of to life secondly holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam moreover what to talk of the living human beings those who are in the womb of mother before the birth he declared that the life of a man is such a precious thing that nobody can act against the life of a child who before its birth is in the womb of its mother and he said the mankind 
possesses such a respect and honor that even after the death nobody is allowed to sit on the grave of any person whether muslim or non muslim because this is the requirement of the respect for mankind it comes in it comes in sahih bukhari and sahih muslim that a funeral was going on here when holy prophet sallam saw a funeral he stood up somebody stated it comes in sahih bukhari and muslim somebody informed him oh holy prophet this is a funeral of a jew this is a funeral of a non muslim not the funeral of a muslim holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam got angry he said what are you talking about he is a jew or a or a muslim he is a human being and this respect has been given equally for every human being then the right of respect and honor was declared by islam and it was stated nobody is allowed to make joke of any person nobody is allowed to curse any person in today's lecture i explain even holy prophet declared nobody is allowed to curse his animal nobody is allowed to curse his uh, his camel he is riding on nobody is allowed even to torture the dogs nobody is allowed to torture the cats nobody is allowed even to torture the ants any living living person even a bird an animal or human being holy prophet said that nobody is allowed to torture any human being in this world on any animal living living creature on this world then he gave the right of privacy and he said يا ايها الذين امنوا لا تدخلوا بيوتا غير بيوتكم حتى تستانسوا nobody is allowed to interfere with privacy of any other person right of privacy was guaranteed by holy prophet then right of security was guaranteed by holy prophet then right of human equality legal equality was guaranteed social equality was guaranteed and economic equality as far as the basic needs are concerned in the form of social and income support that was guaranteed and holy prophet declared la fadla li arabiyan ala ajamiyan wala li ajamiyan ala arabiyan wala li ahmara ala aswada wala li aswada ala ahmara illa bitaqwa there no superiority would be granted to any person whether white or black or white or red or whether belonging to arab nation or non arab nation the superiority is based only on character and integrity of the moral integrity it is not based on any religion color and race then then another constitutional guarantee was provided by islam by holy quran and by holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and that was guarantee of legal equality and legal justice he said waiza hakamtum bainan nas an tahkamu bil adl there is no mentioning of muslim and non muslim it is stated ya inna inna allah ya'murukum an tuaddul amanati rahaliha this was a general commandment for every muslim and non muslim and stated whenever you are appointed you are given an authority to adjudicate the matter a judicial authority so you are required to administer the justice in favor of every person whether he is a muslim or non muslim kunu qawwamin bil qist 
shuhada allillah you have to administer the justice on this earth and become the witness to almighty allah then the guarantee of free hearing was given to every person nobody would be punished without proper independent hearing nobody would be punished unless he gets the right of hearing this right was given by holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the right of defense was guaranteed by holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam freedom and liberty was granted by islam and holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam human liberty all these concepts were introduced in the whole world centuries and centuries afterwards but these were promulgated practiced and enforced by islam 15 centuries before and holy prophet said la ikraha fi din there is no coercion in islam there is no compulsion in islam there is no narrowness in islam there is no inconvenience in islam there should be no hardship in islam nobody can compel any other person in islamic land to become a muslim if anybody compels and coerces a non muslim in an islamic land to embrace islam this act would be against islam and against quranic thoughts everybody has a right to practice his religion rather islam appoints the muslim rulers to protect the worship places or worships of non muslims in the days of banu umayya one of the caliph a governor in in damascus he demolished a part of a church and it and a mosque was extended and that part of church was made a part of the mosque the jurist islamic jurist of that time they stood up and they said this act of demolishing the church and the place of worship of the jews and christians this is totally un-islamic and islam does not allow to demolish the churches and worship places of other religions and to extend the mosque at that places sidna umar bin abdul aziz he stood up and he demolished that part of the mosque again and ordered that this part should again be re re included in the church and this part of mosque should be demolished and it was done then freedom of expression was declared by holy prophet freedom of expression and then the rights of ill people and rights of old citizen were declared given by holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the right of protection of properties was given by holy prophet and by islam the right of uh, contract the the to pay respect to the contracts and agreements up to the extent i would like to finish this matter the last thing which i will want to mention here let us see the 10 years of medinan life when holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was head of the state right up to the conquest of makkah no war was fought on the borders of makkah all wars was were imposed on prophet of islam on imposed war on the society of islam and each and every war was fought either on the border of medina or closer to medina the first was the war of badr there was an ag- advancement and ag- aggression by the meccans and holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and islamic army fought as it, as the defense of medina the war of uhud was fought on the border of medina just 2 miles away 
the war of trench was fought on the border of Medina when trench was 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 prepared in order to defend the city of Medina. All wars were fought in defense. We can't see in eight years of Medinan life a single war which can be known as the war of aggression. Each and every war fought by Islam was the war of defense. And in sixth of Hijrah, when Holy Prophet went with fifteen hundred companions for performing the pilgrimage, the Meccans did not allow him to enter. So even then he accepted their suggestion and a treaty of peace was prepared. And Holy Prophet signed the treaty of peace. It was a no war pact for 10 years. But there would be no war and no fight between Medinans and between Meccans. 10 years no war pact was signed. But unfortunately after one year this was the Meccans who broke this contract and treaty of peace, not the Medinans, not the Muslims. This treaty was broken by the Meccans, non-Muslims. And as a result of that, the city of Mecca was conquered. Even then, when he entered, I mentioned in my two days lecture, when he entered, one of the companions, Saad bin Ubada, he raised a slogan and he said, Al-Yawm Ayyawmul Malhama. This is the day of revenge. Whatever has been imposed and whatever has been happening with us for the last eight years, today we are going to take revenge. Abu Sufyan came to Holy Prophet and said, this is a slogan being raised that you, the Muslims, are going to take revenge from us. Holy Prophet got angry. He stood up. He said, this day is not the day of revenge. This is the day of mercy. This is the day of forgiveness. This is the day of pardon. This is the day of compassion. We will forgive every enemy who was living here. And Holy Prophet he declared from Mecca, from the Kaaba, Haram of Kaaba, he said, if anybody enters in the house of Abu Sufyan, he will get protection. If anybody disarms himself, he will get protection. If anybody shuts the door and gives a message of peace, he would be protected. So none of the Meccans, they were hundreds of thousands of Meccan non-Muslims. None of them were murdered after conquest of Mecca. None of them. So this was a stance, this was a conduct, and this was a behavior of peace, and this was carried on by the history of Islam throughout. Unfortunately, some criminal elements in these days, they started bringing a bad name to Islam by their own criminal activities, by their own, because of their own political agendas, because of their own extremistic, radicalistic and terroristic activities. And at the same time, the mistakes are not committed only from one side. The mistakes are also committed from other side too, in order, in their, in order to their policies. So this, this is a great misunderstanding between the West and between Islam. If the true face of Islam is identified and the true teachings of Islam are truly understood, 
and those people who are the criminal and terrorist they have no religion they have no attachment to any culture they have no faith they are faithless people they are enemies of humanity as well as they are enemies of islam just after with these uh, you can say a brief introduction of islamic stance of peace and democracy i would conclude i like to conclude my talk so that we may deal with uh, some question and answers now i have uh, some written questions i am ready to answer these written questions which i have been already sent to me or i would prefer instead of entertaining the written question if the direct questions come to me it would be more appropriate to to utilize the remaining time with the direct questions i would prefer to entertain the direct question from my respected and honorable guest is any question you have in your mind anything you want to say any kind of clarification you want to ask any aspect of islam you want to understand i as a humble servant of islam and as a humble uh you can say servant of humanity is uh, i'm here to answer as much as possible according to my thank you for that uh, very um, significant uh, presentation i'd like to try to draw your attention to some of the issues in the contemporary period now you highlighted uh, towards the end that those who allude to terrorism and and use the name of islam are criminals and uh, they have subverted the classical teachings I'd like you to elaborate on, on when do you think that began to go wrong? Is, is it a function of internal problems, or are the external policy dilemmas more of a uh, an issue? Please, yes. if you would elaborate. This is a very interesting question. So, we, as a short time, I would like to give a brief answer to every question. To my opinion, this is not just an internal matter. This kind of terrorism. has emerged out of an international political agenda i was born in pakistan i spent my whole life there there was no act of terrorism in pakistan 20 years before 25 years before there were muslims there were religious institutions there were mosques there were religious education the circumstances have never changed but we had never come across any suicidal bombing we had never come across any act of terrorism or any act of radicalism this developed when a sponsored war was fought against the illegal occupation of russia at that time some global powers wanted to uh, fight against russian occupation and some people from arab and some people from afghanistan were sponsored they were provided the arms ammunition the money and trainings and that was the time when usama bin laden became one of the heroes and that was the time when taliban came into existence so they fought this was a sponsored fight against russian occupation when russian left the land of afghanistan then other people who were sponsoring them also left them 
then they started their fights and their terroristic activities or whatever you can call in Kashmir. When they were stopped from Kashmir too, then they were spreaded in Pakistan and they had nothing to do except killing. This was the skill which they were taught. So I think a political, global political agenda was the basis of emergence of terrorism and these terrorists in Pakistan having very advanced arms, ammunition, money, logistics, which even Pakistani army does not possess. The question is where they are getting from. How Baitullah Masood became, Masood became a giant from just an ordinary person. How the Taliban became a giant just an ordinary student of madrasas. So this was the basic reason. Now, if we want to eliminate them, we have to decide whether elimination of terrorism is our humanistic agenda or our expansionistic agenda. If I think sincerely and honestly, if eradication and elimination and uprooting of terrorism in the whole world is just an idealistic and just a humanistic agenda, then elimination of terrorism is not a matter of more than one to two years. And if it is a political and expansionistic agenda all over the globe, then it will continue for the whole century. This is the matter. Hello, Sheikh Islam. Um, thank you indeed for thank inviting you. me here. Um, I covered the war in Afghanistan in the 1980s and later, of course, the war in Bosnia. And in both cases, Muslims felt a duty to help their brothers and sisters in distress. I think everyone here will know the hadith, of course, about one body. When part of the body is ill, the whole body feels ill. At that time, and I remember coming up to Coventry, there were people raising money for in cost for the people um, in Bosnia who were suffering. And it was seen as a very proud thing to do, a very proper thing to do. Um, obviously, to do that now would be considered even an act of terrorism, um, where there are foreign armies occupying Dar al-Islam now, or at least their presence there. How do you see the two and compare the two in terms of the duty of Muslims to help their, yes. their brothers? Thank you. I understand and agree with you that the whole of the Muslim Ummah works like a body but there are different organs of the body working as a body no doubt about that is what is required by Islam and it has been practicing in the past but at the same time if a single organ of a body becomes cancerous then other organs are not supposed to support this cancer then the other organs will always support the surgeon to cut this arm away so that the whole body is protected from spreading of cancer. Act of terrorism, act of terrorism is not less than a cancer. If any, in any part of the Muslim world, any group of individuals or any party 
starts a terroristic activity so it means that there is a cancer in this organ of the body of muslims so the muslim all organs are compulsorily required to help the surgeon to cut that part from the body so that the remaining body is safe that's why this terroristic activity is never supported and would never be supported by the muslims because these people when they act commit the act of terrorism they use the world of jihad jihad is never an act of terrorism jihad is fighting against terrorism <laughs> jihad the concept of jihad is that jihad is a struggle a sacred struggle against the evil desires of our lower self jihad is a sacred struggle to spread the knowledge and to remove and to fight against the ignorance of the society jihad is a sacred struggle for charity to remove to remove the uneconomic unbalance from the human society and to fight against the poverty and alienation of poverty so jihad is a sacred struggle to uh, to free to liberate the people from act of oppression and act of injustice as saddam used to do and even if the taliban they give the bad name to islam and they suppress the demon from their right which has correctly given by islam to them and if they commit the act of cruelty and if they commit the act of oppression to the muslim community so the muslims as a body will never support that organ because they are bringing a bad name to islam so we have to differentiate what is right and what is wrong shaykh i would like to echo the thanks of others for the invitation to Thank us you. here you are welcome always you know lot of the, our christian scholars and christian bishops in pakistan dr andrew francis and dr azraya who these are the representatives of the catholic church you may be knowing i always invite them and we celebrate the christmas every year and they come to our secretariat and we always open our mosque for our christian brothers to worship according to their faith this is our practice we welcome thank you so you should feel at home you are not our guest you may consider as if you are the host of this session shukriya <laughs> i do indeed feel, feel at home um and you mentioned the christians of pakistan it's them who i have in mind and i am thankful for your words about the freedom of religion, religion. in islam the freedom to believe and not to be compelled otherwise there is however a problem in pakistan which you will be familiar with in the operation of the blasphemy law which on a number of occasions very recently have caused considerable trouble for christians when false allegations have been made that the quran has been defaced or despoiled in some way um only 10 days ago 30 christian homes were destroyed and people killed 
and the firefighters prevented from going to the help of those people. Now, it must also be said that there were Muslims who helped the Christians in that situation. But I wanted to ask you about the operation of that law, which has been misused and exploited both against Christians and also against fellow Muslims. And I wonder, really, about the wisdom of it. Thank you. I agree with your concern. I absolutely agree with your concern and your question. But let me explain. You know, the law is of two kinds. Every law. One is the substantive aspect of law. And other is the procedural and adjective aspect of law. When we talk of law of blasphemy, there is no, nothing wrong as far as the substantive law is concerned. I, as a student of law, and <laughs> I have been a professor of law throughout my career in the law college, the school of law and universities. There is nothing wrong in substantive aspect of the law. All wrong, when you use the word misuse, it makes the case clear. The wrong which we see is in adjective and procedural aspect of the law. And this matter is not only the Christian brothers are not being affected by the law. This is not the law against Christian community. This is the matter of the corrupt police officers. The problem is that the corrupt police officers, they are used to bribes. Then this is the matter of wrong registration of a case against anyone. They don't register wrongly the case only against Christians. They are always registering case against the poor Muslim people. Under the pressure of the landlords, under the pressure of the MNAs, under the pressure of influential political figures. They register the case of theft against people. This is a misuse of law of theft. They register the case of fornication against people. This is a misuse of law of adultery. They always register a wrong case of uh, everything, everything. There are hundreds and thousands of wrong cases being registered in police station every day. And every poor person and every weak person. So every law is being misused. Whether in its original sense it was correct or wrong, every law, single law is being misused. Even constitution is being misused by the military dictators. And they take over the charge. The political aspect, the influential people, they always misuse the laws. Because there is no proper administration of justice. And the people working as the police officers are not like those who are the police officers of British society and the Western world. There is a hell of difference between the Pakistani police officers and British police officers. So the basic thing is to stop the misuse of law. There is no problem with the law itself. Some amendments, according to me, are necessarily required in procedural law. I support that every police officer in police station should not be allowed to register the case against any non-Muslim. Any law of blasphemy. 
this authority should be given to a single magistrate in the district or in a tehsil and after full scrutiny the case should be after full scrutiny and investigation should be launched and the police officer should not be authorized to trial or to investigate the cases the men of integrity from the magistrate and judges they should be authorized to try the case so that they are also safe and the same kind of administration of justice should be applied by other poor community of the muslim in the pakistani society this is matter of corruption not matter of religion assalam alaikum kibla shakil islam sahab i've been listening to you this morning and this afternoon as well uh, i think what i hear in from yourself and from the whole the the voice of reason and moderation but our difficulty in the british community and british muslim communities we don't have many voices of reasons and looking at your eminent colleague uh, dr sarfraz naimis and his his martyrdom who gave that same voice as you are giving and those vo voices are, are are silent by the terrorist how could you advise us to help to raise the voice of the reasons jazakallah khair my brief uh, advice on 17. this subject would be i will ask the global authorities and global powers please please and please don't help the friends of terrorist just help the friends of peace i know in pakistan as well as in the other part of the world there are people who are very clever and who work very closely with the western british and other western european governments but they may have some close relationship with those parties and groups who have very extremistic ideas and those groups who are very extremist in their ideas they are closely linked with the terrorists and maybe these people are known to be the friends and reliable persons and colleagues by the western governments and british government so you have to discriminate between friend and enemy this is the only advice up till now i think the western world has not been able to discriminate between their real friends and real enemies the day when they will discriminate between the real friends and real enemies in connection of the war against terrorism inshallah the war against terrorism will definitely reach the stage of success for this opportunity to uh, address a, a question to you. In the research center that I direct at Cardiff University, our underlying mission is the promotion of understanding of Islam <coughs> and the life of Muslims in Britain. And we work in very close partnership with the local Muslim community and with the Muslim Council of Wales in trying to fulfill that ambition. I'm not an Islamic scholar, but I am an academic. and i would i would really like your advice based on your engagement with british muslims and your understanding of of the situation in, in relation to islam in britain 
What do you think is the most important priority for a research centre such as mine in Cardiff University? Thank you. I think the most effective and influential way and role to be played by the research centre should be the promotion of the real and correct concept of integration. There can be three models in a British society or any Western society where Muslims are living in minority as citizens. There can be three models, model of isolation, model of assimilation and model of annihilation. And the third would be the model of integration. There are some Muslims, some religious scholars, some religious practicing Muslims who till today love to remain in a model of isolation. You have to promote the research and to develop the understanding that being a part and parcel of British society, the isolation model is totally against Islam as well as against the society. They have to come out and you have to bring out, bring them out from the isolation. And on the other hand, you have to promote the research for the British government. This would be the message for the religious people, Muslims. And at the same time, a research should be conducted that bringing them out from isolation does not mean to lead them towards the model of annihilation. Because isolation is damaging for them and annihilation would be damaging for a British society. Annihilation is never a good model because every culture has its own roots, every culture has its own identities and every culture has its own traits and attributes. So when you take them from isolation, at the same time you have to protect that annihilation model should not be promoted because this will create a reaction. So the best way that your research should be on the lines that the best future for the British society should be the model of integration. Integration means that Muslims should not live and any people uh, belonging to any other religion should not live in isolation and neither they should be called towards annihilation. They should live in a model of integration. They should get integrated with British society all integrated British society along with protection of their cultural identity, protection of their religious identity. So this will lead towards the concept of multicultural society. And finally, the multiculturalism itself becomes a culture. And if your research your seminars, your printed material gives a message on both sides. One side is to the Muslims, you have to convey the message to them to come out from isolation and become a part and parcel of the society. And on the other hand, a message should go to the governments that don't attract them or don't demand them to become a part of the model of annihilation. Let them maintain their identity. And your message should concentrate on the developing of integration. Integration with lead the British society. British society is one of the best societies of the Western world. <laughs> Multicultural society.
so the beauty and the protection of the british society and its values lies and vests in multiculturalism and multiculturalism can only be protected through integration so this would be the work to be done thank you and and unfortunately time is short and we do have to uh, break for us a prayer and for dinner uh, i'm extremely grateful uh, to our guests just want to uh, thank our guests on behalf of minhaj al quran international and on behalf of the al hidayah organizing team and on behalf of the audience for uh, accepting our invitations to attend the program today <laughs> i every time i am troubled by a storm of burden in my life every time i am troubled by a storm of burden in my life Alleviates my pain, Habibi, Ya Rasulullah. Alleviates my pain, Habibi, Ya Rasulullah.